Hey there, Shopper Maniacs! You're listening to another episode of Shop Talk Show Podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Yay, hey, Chris! It's great. You know what happened to me the other day? I was, I did a search for something CSS related and landed on my own site. Obviously, right? Like I have just there's just a lot of crap on CSS tricks, and I get offended brain. when I don't land mm. on CSS tricks. I'll be honest. Uh, I was looking for backdrop filter. One of the weirdest named CSS properties, isn't it? Because like what, what, who invented the word backdrop and why is it different than background? Right. It's weird. And I think it was WebKit, but what's weird is WebKit doesn't have dialogue, which also has a colon, colon backdrop. What'd we do? Oh, but. Oh, you mean the colon, colon backdrop is the thing that like you can target that basically covers the screen yeah. and is a little bit stylable. Like if your brand color is red, you can make the background of your page red when the thing opens. That is also a backdrop. Yes. Yes. Backdrop. So. Okay. I'm sure it has some kind of meaning. It's just, it's hard for my brain to remember it because all mm-hmm. it's in the case of the CSS property backdrop filter, all it's doing is, is like filtering, literally duh, filtering mm-hmm. the background. So like, yeah. why can't it be background filter? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, but it's maybe it's this like invisible layer just above the background. Maybe that's what backdrop means. Yeah, right. Because of it, the connection with dialogue is interesting there. Good call. I wonder. I wonder. Uh, No, I agree. It's a, it's a hard one because I'm like, because it doesn't auto complete. Like, because I'm like, background filter. Where is it? Where's background filter? You know, I never remember it's backdrop filter. So I Google it backdrop filter. You know, it's MDN and then and then ours posts. We have a almanac post on it and other blog posts on it. Cool. I noticed that the title in the SERP, which is Google's I search engine results page. I think mm-hmm. that's you know, mm-hmm. that's just like the term for that, like the results page of Google. I see that the title of it, and this is true if you do it right now, the title of the page is backdrop filter colon. Blur parentheses five pixels dash CSS tricks. And I was like, that's so interesting. Why does it have like an example of usage of backdrop oh. filter in the title? You know, like that's not the page title. That's not the H1 what? that's on the page. It's like neither one of those things. You know, I'm like, well, that's weird. Why would it I'm like s- choose that? I'm seeing it. It's the big Google link and it says backdrop filter. Blur five picks, and you don't even have blur five picks on the page. Yeah, not really. There is it. There is one that's buried in a pen on the page. So if you really start digging around in there, my coworker Jeff discovered that that there is like an H one that has like a similar title like that, but it's two iframes deep because it's in it's in a you know it's yeah. in a code pen embed and then it's in the preview of the embed which is two iframes deep so it's like whoa you know and google does index iframes so it's 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 really dug in there but it's a cross origin iframe and so that seems extra weird so anyway i get confused by this but i'm like the first thing i thought of was that we actually add some metadata usage examples like that to the page because um, there's just certain contexts on the page where we like want to show you an like an example usage of it. I know that's complicated, but we have like yeah, this yeah. mini mini card pattern, and okay. in the mini card pattern, we like drop that on there. Okay. Um, so I was like, yeah, it's probably that. But then I'm like, but where, we don't like output that anywhere 
on the normal page. Like that's only used in weird circumstances. So like, how does, how would Google know about that? So I get confused and I basically write it up as a little Twitter thread and just be like, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea. And people, and one type response from that is like, that's not surprising at all. Google has been rewriting titles in SERPs forever or like 10 years. Apparently they've been doing this type of thing, but it was new to me. Cause I'm like, so like I don't control that anymore. Like I always thought that it mattered what you put as the title of your page because that's what you got indexed on. That's like the whole thing. That's SEO, right? Is that, I'm I'm confused, right? Like, yeah. Like you'd think that's important because that's what shows up there and it matters. But you know, and it's also the title shows up in the tab of the browser. So that's matters too, but that's always funky because you get like it feels like you get like 10 characters because most mm-hmm. people's browser tabs are so narrow, you know, even at their widest, they're not that wide. So not as useful up there. The main reason you have good titles is because of Google. And so I did finally get an answer to this just today. I think there's oh, a really fast um, Google's just saying that they posted two days ago, August 24th, an update to how we generate web page titles. And it just basically just says like these, this is, you know, we just reserve the right to just like change your titles and we're going to use information on your page to do it. H1s, title, we're going to just... Three iframes deep. They don't say machine <laughs> learning, but they're, they're machine learning it up, you know? I This is like a blockbuster expose, Chris. Like it's <laughs> pulling one line of CSS five levels deep for your page type. That is yeah, how does or it like, know? Like, I just like don't. Google, that's some magic stuff. It's like Google I, Copilot in your your blog post title. Because it's like, oh, you type back to <laughs> filter. You probably meant blur yeah. five pics. Right. Like, I, it, when I look at this result, I don't hate it. I kind of like that it intelligently came up with something. But I'm like, you better be really sure. Because if I write a Barack Obama is bad piece and they're like, I mean one thing. And then somebody's like. Barack Obama is badass. If that doesn't change it to that, you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, right. Like that, it can it can really affect meaning and stuff. Now, with technological stuff like this, maybe it's not a big. But of course, they're not doing this just for tech sites. They're doing this for the entire internet. Yeah. So they better be really sure. And then it's a weird control. Like that's the part that I don't like is that like. So what do I have any say anymore? And what's interesting is SERPs are not the web. Like, I, we cannot, there's no spec. Google wholly owns this. They can do literally whatever they want. But it does feel like then we're like extra peons in this world. Like, we just have, we just have no say. Yeah. No You're, say. All control you had, your whole, that 80 hours you spent fine-tuning, what, what was it, the, the word Yoast, your Yoast <laughs> SEO. <laughs> Is just out the window. I don't know, man. I think they would tell you that it still matters. They would say, oh, well, of course it's still, I mean, that's still a huge indicator of what the title ends up being. And it's in the, I think in my case, the title ends up being a variation of what's already there. So it's not saying it doesn't matter, but it is saying you don't have control. Man, Pretty that weird. is revolutionary. I am going to invoice them because I just spent a bunch of time writing out like integrating a whole SEO thing on this client side. So I'm just, guess what? You're getting invoiced for 65 templates times one hour. So there you go. <laughs> $4.8 million. I think is my hourly rate. So there you go. 
Hmm. Well, just something to be aware of, folks. Um, It's my birthday today. Hey, happy birthday. I didn't know that. Hey, congratulations. You made it. Another another trip Uh around the sun. Uh Uh-huh. It happens to, I bring it up because it happens to, there was like a, um, a nice Sarah Swedan tweet today about you know she call, she found somebody that well, watching a video and they turned out they liked jQuery, and the person in the video felt the need to apologize for their liking of jQuery and she's like mm-hmm. oh that's sad you know and then there was a Henri Helvetica post that was like well what an interesting thing to tweet today the 15 year birthday of the 1.0 release of jQuery so I, apparently I share a real birthday with jQuery as well which I'm totally what cool with. dude destiny <laughs> that is just beautiful <laughs> jQuery changed my life I'll say it was my intro to JavaScript for sure there was a, you know, a book I read by Carl Swedberg, I think, that I was like that, you know, laid it out pretty well how jQuery works. And at the time, I felt pretty confident in my CSS skills. And it was like, I was like, you know, they're find something, do something mantra. I was like, I know how to find something. So all I really need to learn is how to do something. And in the APIs of jQuery, like add class, hide, show, mm-hmm. you know, at, atter, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, dang. I get it. I totally get it. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, there was a lot to learn, but that was that was transformative for me. And then, you know, at that time, there's all started to be all kinds of posts on CSS tricks about jQuery because now it's part of my arsenal, you know? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'd say that it, it, it changed everything, you know? And in that same way, you know, I know React people like to say, it's just JavaScript, which, you know, I, in some kind of weird way, it, it kind of is, you know, that the, the functions you write in jQuery are kind of less laden and proprietary stuff. I don't know if that's quite fair, but it's a, at least it's a saying that gets thrown around a lot. That jQuery really was just JavaScript too. So as you were learning jQuery, there was plenty of moments that you had to reach outside of jQuery to do JavaScript things. And that by virtue of it, a lot of people learn JavaScript. Well, and like what's cool is with Sizzle, the Sizzle selector engine in jQuery, your knowledge of CSS instantly made you more powerful at JavaScript. And I would even say like, it still does, but, but that's just me. Like you're, cause you're like, Oh, I just use a CSS selector to select this thing. I didn't have to do document, get element by whatever ancient name tag or whatever crap you had to just, you could just write dollar, get the thing. And then you learned, oh, there's a weird thing about WordPress. It does not like the dollar sign. And then you had to figure out why that was, and you learned. And then, yeah, hide, show, yeah. and then there was, like, animate. Like, right. it was cool. Do they still uh, bundle Sizzle with jQuery? Because it's kind of like, why? You know, isn't isn't Query Selector uh, all just Sizzle? I think it's maybe still Sizzle because maybe there's some weird things it did or something, right. like custom things. But, you know, what's cool is, like, you know, it's, like, loop through – uh, an array of elements and find only children that have the class, you know, whatever in progress or something like that. That's something I did recently. Guess mm-hmm. what? Like CSS does that really good. <laughs> like you just say like yeah. whatever items dot in progress and it'll just get you the only ones, you know, like it actually could save you a lot of JavaScript if you're good at CSS selector foo. So yeah, you know, I remember having to like internalize and then a t- teach once in a while that concept of like implicit iteration, 
or if mm-hmm. you if you have that in progress class that you just mentioned and then you do like dot atter you know or whatever and change some attribute that you didn't have to write a loop like mm-hmm. it just did yeah. that yeah it just like it just you just had to know that it would find everything on the page and do that that was cool <laughs> that's a nice yeah that's a nice little thing or you could loop over and manually do it but it was kind of like why you know you got the syntactic sugar just use it it's powerful it I is mean, i i Still, I don't know. Every day, man, I'm, I'll query select or something. It's a little harder in view. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it is in React. Uh, but you have to wait till the component's mounted, right? That's yeah. like the trick is like because before it's mounted, it has oh, no idea. View, what's you have going to do on. that once in a while. You, yeah. you have to literally query selector after. Yeah. Yeah. It has refs, which I think are the same as React refs. Right, that's what I was going to um, say. You just use like, ref and then you. And then it shows up eventually or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and that's cool. I get that. But then it's... Um, he, if you had to grab it, stuff it, from an API or something, though, like actual HTML, then it wouldn't know. Yeah, like something, you know, eight components over or something. Or I guess you'd still want to use ref there. But, like, there's a, every once in a while you just have to query selector. Like, right. does this thing... Did the content that the user put in have an iframe? Or is it just a div soup sure. or something, you know, like right. that's like where they can like write their own HTML. And again, I know that's kind of risky too, like using in inner dangerously set inner HTML or VHTML in view, but yeah. guess what? It happens sometimes. <laughs> so if yeah. you ever use a WYSIWYG, it happens. <laughs> so, um, right. You, I wonder now that jQuery is so old and we're in this weird apologetic setup. We should move on after this too. Sorry if people don't mm. give a crap about jQuery, but the the like the you wouldn't you're not reaching for it now. I mean, you made your little bookshelf. You weren't like, you know what, jQuery's fine for this because it's just manipulating on the page. You didn't reach for it, Dave. You reached for Petite View. A lot of mm-hmm. people are reaching for Alpine. Is that better? I think so. Cause I mean, the I could have done it in jQuery. Sure but it would have been a lot of like, you know, the only thing I could have done is like add a data attribute to everything. That's fine. I could do that. And then I'd have to like go, okay, query selector, everything, hide everything. And then only show the ones where data attribute equals this, you know, on click or something like that. And I could do that. But then, you know, I have like, I guess there'd be like 10 buttons. That's fine. But if you want to support keyboard events, oh no, like like now it starts like piling up on what I was doing. And I just was like, I don't want quick soup. I want reactivity, I guess would be the the way to put it. Like I want a variable to be set up on a parent and the rest of the content figures out what to do after that. And so that's what I yeah, do. Yeah, that kind so, of like, yeah. What I, There's a subtle difference between like, like you can fake reactivity with click soup, I guess, like you click a thing and, and then you can spit out a page. It's just, it's a lot easier if it's actually reactive and uh, you know, some like practical work experience. I worked for a popular pizza shack themed pizza company once. And, uh, the, like I built this thing out in, jQuery. It's like 600 lines of jQuery for like their pizza builder thing. Um, and it works in production. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's maybe angular now. Uh, but it, I was like, man, this is like, okay. 
but it's like brutal, right? Like this is like so much because a pizza is basically an infinitely configurable product. <laughs> and that's what you need to understand about pizzas before you get into the website, pizza website making business, right? Right. Because you can have up to 16 toppings total side. <laughs> or 10 on the left side and 10 on the right side, or, you know, like right. it's basically, and then no cheese is also an option and stuff like that. And so yeah. it was, it was like brutal to code out. And I just was like, is this easier in view one day? And I wrote it in view in a code pen. It was like 40 lines of view. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus like 600 lines of jQuery. Right. What I didn't like about jQuery is that you know, like if you so you first you write a bunch of HTML and CSS and get it styled all right, and then the implication is there that you're pretending that it's fine without JavaScript, but you know it isn't. It's not mm-hmm. fine. The Pizza Builder does not work without it. So you're saying, oh, it's separation of concerns, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's you, it's just separation of files arbitrarily. Yeah, in in what you don't have, you don't have a JSON at the end of it. Maybe you do, like maybe you code it away, but you don't. Like you have a bunch of divs that now look correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have like an object or a model that you've been manipulating that you can then hand to somewhere else. Yeah, then you have typically. to remake the model at the end. Yeah, right. And you could right. say, sure, it, is it is it possible to build this as a big ass form with select elements and stuff, and then you submit it, and then and then. The server side has equal code on the back end that processes all that stuff, returns an error to a different URL that then says you can't, you have 11 toppings on the left side. So that's an error. Like, yeah, but no, we just don't do that anymore. You know, like it's just not practical. You know, we don't write our applications twice. Yeah. Well, and, and it would be so much easier to, hey, well, there is a validator on one side, you know, like they're a billion dollar pizza company so they have to do that but like, <laughs> like sorry they're gonna do that so um, yeah but like it, it's you know but but like it's it would be easier to like if we're not just kind of less like click a button and praying it goes across the wire correctly or through a bunch of testing or blood sweat and tears you know making sure it all works you know so yeah that's just it so you just try to make sure it all works well, that's where I'd say, like, I I think Petite View is very compelling just because of reactivity, you know, like that ability to have a UI that reacts to a little bit of state. That's awesome. And and that's what Vue, that's what React does. Yeah. But Vue, Petite View specifically, does it without ever NPM installing a thing. So <laughs> it's so great. So, so let's say that on this beautiful pizza builder, there's two buttons next to each mm-hmm. other. You know, yep. I don't know what they are. It doesn't matter. Quantity. One of them has to have a space between that and the next button. And by default, yeah. they don't because there's no user agent style sheet for like margin on buttons. Button plus button. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you reaching for? Do you select the first of the two buttons and apply some kind of margin to the side of that first one or do you flex box it and use gap do you use grid i am gap i am on the gap train flex gap train man i i and then if those two buttons kiss Mm -hmm. they kiss and that's that's an old browser problem now new browsers they don't kiss it's beautiful old browsers they just give a little smooch it's not the end of the world two buttons kissing 
whatever yeah. happens. Yeah, the gap thing. I remember Adam Argyle said, you know, you know, the days of even margin are are limited because of how powerful gap is and how, you know, and I've seen it just saw, yesterday. I saw a little demo that was real clever. It was just like two blocks on two divs on top of each other. And to just kick them out a little bit, what the developer reached for was display grid gap 10 pixels rather than select the first one and kick a margin on the bottom of it. So the problem with that is you're either selecting the first one and, and adding the bottom on it, or you're applying it to all of them selecting the last one and removing it. It's been a classic mm -hmm. CSS problem. Whereas gap, you don't have to worry about. It's just the gap in between them. Very nice. Yeah. And we literally yesterday uh, had a client come uh, and say like, hey, I I really like this component you built like with three columns of content side by side, right? And they were like, but it would be cool if I could control the gap on it. <laughs> and no, it was just like, do. you know, but... Uh, totally. And it's like, we already have classes for small, medium, large, you know, or whatever. And so like you, we can just make the CMS say with a button that's small, medium, large on that block, you know, and that's all we did, you know? And I think in uh tailwind nomenclature, it'd be like gap one, gap two, gap three or whatever, but sure. however you want to do that. Or you could have like dash dash gap colon 10 picks, you know, you could maybe even just like, Sure, just write how big of a gap you want, you know? Do you like yeah. that it, the responsibility is the parent, not the child, too? I do. I think, yeah. I, think, I think it's, you know, I feel anywhere, child content should not have to worry about its margin and spacing. I just, you, there are situations where it will have to, but ideally, uh, uh, if it's at the meta big block level, it shouldn't have to care where it lives on the page, you know? Mm -hmm. Inside the component, maybe, yeah, it does have to care. But outside the component, maybe it doesn't. And then all these things, like if it's just Gap, right? The ability to make like the Gmail style, like cozy, compact, you know, sort of vibes for modifiers for, for components is so easy. I mean, mm -hmm. it's one line of code, right? Like you just, yeah, you're okay. setting a very variable to just say like, okay, all the gaps on this one are, are tiny. So there you go. So. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Retool for Startups. So Retool, you know, retool.com, remarkably good tooling for building admin tools, internal tools and stuff. Retool for Startups is a special program that they're offering. So this is what they say. After working with thousands of startups, they've noticed that technical founders spend a ton of time building internal tools. Been there, uh, which means that less time on the core product. So we built Retool for Startups, a program that gives early stage founders free access to a lot of the software they need for building great internal tooling. The goal is to make it 10 times faster to build admin panels, CRUD apps, and dashboards that most early stage teams need. So they bundled together. It's a free year of access to Retool and then $160,000 of discounts for tools like AWS, MongoDB, Brack Segment, you know, really popular tooling uh, for building 
uh, any kind of web software, really. So use your retool credits to build tools that join product and billing data together into a single customer view, tools that convert manual workflows into fully featured apps for your team, tools that help non-technical teammates read and write to the database, and so much more. So it's retool.com slash startups. That'll get you to the form to apply for this. So there's, you know, some... Uh, criteria for it like you're less than five years old and things like that not you as a person the company you have to be over five years old as a person i'm pretty sure so check out the site apply join webinars all that stuff retool.com slash startups well i kind of failed in my segue because i was what i was hoping to you know sort of talk about is like so you need some space on the side of something. And I agree, like Flexbox Gap is sweet and that's definitely the way to go because then it will be right if you add four buttons too and all that. It's like it's like f- future thinking. Um, let's see, how can I think of another example then? Let's say there's um, uh, H4 and mm-hmm. it says, you know, sauce. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like a plus button because... And you're, you're going to put it inside the same header or something because they should just be on the same line. God, no, it's, it's going to end up in Flexbox again, isn't it? Flexbox. It. Yeah. <laughs> I call that, I, we, we have a, I call it action header is what I call it. That's I have action tables and action header in my. Uh, okay. So let's say though that the plus button is, is pushed away from the word sauce all the way to the other side. What's your go-to technique? Do you do the uh, auto margin of sorts, or do you do like a, a space between? Uh, I think my action header. Oh, I would do I would do a a gap there too. I think but you I can't you a, can't force a gap to be as wide like a pushing well, gap. Yeah, but it's like whatever uh, angle bracket first child or whatever or whatever first of type whatever the right mm, one is there. Okay. Like, so you do flex grow one. So that'll always explode. Oh. And then you have a gap. button over there. And oh, then a so gap. that's a third way that you, for, that you get the spacing by forcing the first one to be as wide as possible, which yeah. works if there's no background on it or something. But I usually yeah, avoid yeah. that just because it's like, I don't actually want you to be bigger. I actually want you to just have space. <laughs> it's yeah. like philosophical at that point almost. But so there's three ways to do it. One of them is to take the children and and add the the space between in it, or whatever that mm-hmm. is. Fl- yeah, um, space between a line item or justify content space between or something that'll yep. push them apart. Um, or you can select one or the other of them and do inline margin. Yeah. And so you could say on the first one, you could say margin right auto. On the second one, you could say margin left auto. Either will work or both will work. And that's where I was trying to go with this. Would you, let's say you chose that technique or somebody else did or something and you're rolling with it. Would you write margin right auto or would you write margin inline end auto? Mm. Logical property. I'm not Are there. Are you yet. ready? I'm not, you're not there. there? Yet. Interesting. But I, I want that's to more be supported than freaking Flexbox Gap is. is that's the true. Yeah, that's true. I, I would like to be there, you know, um, because there's a lot of power. I mean, if you work on any enterprise stuff, man, like there it's like the, the first thing you're going to have to do is build the Hebrew or Arabic version of the website. And those are 
LTR or sorry, RTL languages. And so you immediately hit this situation where all your margin rights and all your margin lefts didn't work, don't work anymore. And so like everything's wrong and you can build, and I've done this before, before all these things existed, like built a big damn like pre-parser that flips all your margins and positions to write, you know, you like basically build a fake positioner utility, you know, um, or a mix in and SAS or something like that. And that's okay. That works. But, and, but like, man, certainly not as clean as, as inline properties. So let's say, but you, let's say I convinced you and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And you ship in and it's fine because you're already Mm -hmm. depending on the gap. So who cares if this works or not, Mm -hmm. it would just kiss. Right. Mm -hmm. Now you have one logical property I got one in there. In yeah, I landed app. it. Well, how yeah. do you feel about that? That because that's where I'm at. Like, I'm starting to use these things and ship them to production because I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. But it's got to be 10 percent or less of mm-hmm. all of the properties in the whole app. Is that growth? Does it deserve a refactor to just switch? Or like, no, that's a that's a waste of time refactor. I wonder if it's like a sprint and just see how many components you can get over to logical in one go, you know, like, cause if that's the direction you want to go, that's the direction CSS is going. Maybe you should just do it. Like you should just commit to it. Um, you can maybe even lint, sorry, excuse me, linter against that, you know, but I don't know. Here's a fourth heat. Can I put a fourth heat on the fire? Little, uh, razzle dazzle diners, (laughs) hot dogs or whatever drive-ins. Um, you know, you could do flex align self flex end. Oh, or that's right. The that's buttons. the fifth one, isn't it? Like, so you could do another, like, and that would be maybe the way I would want to do that p- particular situation because you're saying place yourself at the end, you know, you're not Being saying really like specific. margin yourself to the end, you know, like that's like, true. And so for me, that's maybe how I'd want to do that. But because yeah, like margins and you, the utility of margins is going down and down and down. Honestly, you know I mean, the problem with the margin too is that yeah, it's a gap unless they happen to kiss, and then mm-hmm. you need a margin like on the other one or something because you already have auto on one, so you can't use that one. You gotta use the other one to make sure they don't kiss or put some padding on it or whatever. I wonder if gap works in that situation. Can you add a gap and an auto margin, and then the gap will prevent the kissing? Probably. Mm, I think so. Probably. Cause, cause a lot of times you use margin inside grid and it's just like, I don't care. (laughs) I don't, I mean, you wrote that, but I don't care, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. There is some funny circumstances where margin and padding are just irrelevantly different. That it's a good segue though. And it's weird how many times we've said the word kissing in this podcast. That's gotta be a record. It's a new, uh, we need some saxophone, Chris and Sierra. <laughs> Shop talk after dark. Anytime we talk about elements kissing, one of us has to do the sax. Okay. Oh, New great. Shop Talk rule. All right. So there's logical properties. Margin, block, end makes perfect sense to me. It's the block direction, which is in you know, in in our world usually top and bottom so Mm -hmm. in block end means margin bottom for like a right to left language 
or left to right, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, fine. But it's funny how many of these properties, there's like fallout, for lack of a better word, for everything else. So there's like inset, and inset means top, bottom, left, and right. And what about top block? What if you just want to set top? What is that? Oh, it's inset block start. So there's a lot more words than top, but, you know, mm-hmm. it makes more sense. So they have fallout there. Then there's... Um, just other stuff too. For example, I was working on scroll snapping. That's Mm -hmm. nice, right? Like I feel like Mm -hmm. it's almost underused at this point. I saw Scott Gell put together a little table that had sticky uh, columns. Yeah. And then he just threw scroll snaps on the columns and the rows. And I was like, oh, this was nice. That's just like a little add-on to the table. That was nice. So, okay, there's that. But... There's circumstances when you want to adjust scroll snapping's position, and there's no, like, scroll X position adjust something. Yeah, Yeah, there's no offsets for it, which is weird, I think. But it's because – it turns out there is, actually, because it's this more generic property that's used for scrolling anyway, not just scroll snapping, which is clever. And I like that this exists. So there's a property called scroll padding and scroll Mm -hmm. margin. Those are great because there used to be – I used to have this pretty popular post on CSS Tricks that was like, let's say you have a fixed position header and then you use a jump link, like you jump to, you know, hash conclusion or something and the page jumps down to that point. The fixed position header can just cover it. So -hmm. you need to like push down the page somehow so that it doesn't do that because otherwise that's a very bad UX. Like what's happening? The fixed position hover is covering this thing. So <laughs> we used to do all kinds of crazy tricks. We used to have like a pseudo element that's positioned oh, yeah. taller than it. still doing crazy and, tricks. There's a way around it? Yeah, you just, just do <laughs> scroll padding 100 pixels or something. Just oh, as I tall as this. the fixed Holy position. Pick. Really? Just do it. Scroll padding. 100. And it doesn't actually add padding. It just says when the element is scrolled to – then just have that extra space on the top. On the body or is that like anywhere? No, it's or on the element itself. So you put it on the, like okay. the H2 or whatever it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. And then, but there's scroll margin and there's scroll padding. So this is, that's why I thought of it. Cause I'm like, it, it kind of like, I don't think it actually matters that much in this case, which one you use. It's just yeah. some space on top of the thing. Yeah, it's a number. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then logical properties, I think you, you don't have a choice here. Like if you want to mm-hmm. add scroll padding to one direction, you have to use. So it's scroll margin inline start if you need oh, okay. left offset to your scroll snapping or something. And I had to do it the other day because I have scroll snapping on. Like you imagine the CSS tricks interface after the top car, like on the homepage, there's a little thing that says popular articles this month or something like that. And then you can swipe through them and they have scroll snapping on them which kicks in at certain breakpoints. But the way I just designed like a little border around the edges of one of them, because I wanted to have this cool gradient effect, I just made a pseudo element that sits behind the thing so it has a cool gradient border. But that means that it's that pseudo element's not really part of the box model. So with the scroll snapping kicked in, it's it's snapped it cut off one of the borders because it like doesn't know about the pseudo element. You know, it's like, that's just an absolutely position out of flow thing. And it would cut off this left border. So I had to use scroll margin inline start of the width of that border to like nudge it back over a little bit. And I was like, Oh man, this is starting to get a little brain screwy. All this. It's almost like anytime. Well, yeah. If you do that thing, 
it's almost like anytime you use padding though, or margin, cause you never want to zip to the top of the heading. Like if you do the anchor heading thing, you want the heading to chew a little, little, oh, I totally agree. little love, right? So it's almost like anytime you specify padding or margin on any component, you'd almost want to also do scroll padding as well. That's right? kind of a My, good point. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or could just you just do like star UA. scroll padding? Yeah. Look at us. We're all we yeah. say, jinx. Yeah. Personal. No. <laughs> I think you'd maybe regret it as a universal selector only because then every single time you try to do scroll snapping anywhere, it's going to affect that. You'd, you'd, yeah, you'd be. But having like H1, H2, H3, H4, H5, H6 scroll padding block start even 10 one, pixels or one something. M or one rem would one be rem. huge, right? Yeah, yeah, it just would look a little classier, I think. Yeah. Huh, huh, huh. Yeah, not oh. bad. We just yeah. changed the internet. This episode is brought to you in part by me, your Shop Talk Show editor, Chris Enns. Rather than me telling you all about what I do and how I can save you time editing your podcast, I thought I'd let my clients talk about the thing they most enjoy being able to do since they hired me to edit their podcasts. Uh, notice that there's sound effect to start and a sound bite from my guest. So uh, we'll pause for that. Three, two, one. This is going to be a tough one for you, Chris. And sorry about that. Do what you can. Okay, I'm going to dive into web components. I just think it's that's a good sign. We'll let that pass and we'll edit this out. Good luck, Chris. Aren't you glad I'm back? Clap on Chris. Chris is who edits the podcast. Yeah, it goes really poorly. This always goes perfectly. We, we've we never messed this up. It's just the way it is. But you sound good, Dave. I wouldn't worry about it too much. Plus, we have the masterful Chris Enns on audio engineering. I flew him down from Canada to sit by me in a, on a mixer. He's working a mixer live right now. And, uh, oh, man, Chris, just erase that last part. <laughs> You know, Chris edits this thing too, right? He does. So he's got a heavy hand with his edits. He makes us sound really smart. Chris, let me just find this word. Sorry, Chris. Yeah. Right. Chris is our uh, our editor. Whenever we're like just like frustrated with something, we just blame Chris for it. <laughs> it's just like our imagination. It's imagination. Yeah, blame Chris. That's good. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Chris. We love you. <laughs> Chris, we're going to now have to make this uh, <laughs> an explicit episode. Chris, have fun with this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris is so good at editing and it just made, doesn't, doesn't make sense for me to do it. Yeah, we'll just send it to him. No worries. This is totally normal. I keep Chris, my audio editor, super, super busy. He makes us all sound very intelligent. So we have no, nothing to worry about here. Our editor will figure it out. I will tell Christopher Enns, our sound guy, to take this out. Nope, that's not the way it worked. Um, <laughs> Chris, will you go back to David and edit that part out? I'm going to start over. <laughs> Yeah. Am I pink or yeah. you pink? You're, you're, pink. Oh, you're pink. I totally <laughs> that all up, didn't I? Doesn't matter. That's why we have Chris. My bad, Chris. Sorry about that. Yep. Sorry. You'll have to cut this out, Chris. Delete everything we just said, Chris. I just thought Chris would uh, would edit Jason out, but I'll, I, I'm going to go again. Thanks, Chris. You're cool. Bye. So whether you've got a weekly show that you want help with or you want to do a 10-episode run of an idea you've got, get in touch with me, Chris Enns at lemonproductions.ca. Would you ever? Here, here's the deal. Would you got you ever. You, this is a good like, uh, whatever. Okay, you, your page right is a content sandwich. You got the the, the bun is the uh, navigation at the top, and the yep. footers is the bottom bun. You mm-hmm. got the meat in the middle, right? Yep. It's pickles sliding out everywhere <laughs> in the form of cards. Cards are always pickles. Um, <laughs> Uh, which just they're yeah, delicious but they ruin a sandwich yeah so you got your content sandwich they ruin a sandwich Fuck. uh just it falls apart integrity issues right okay, okay. anyway yep. so 
you have your website sandwich and you have the meats all stacked up, right? Or tofu, falafels, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you ever like scroll snap on those sections? Almost like when you slide through the site, it's like a PowerPoint. Like, would you just universally apply that maybe? To your cards. Yeah. Why not? Or uh, like in your big section tiers of your website. Like, so like. Oh, even wider than that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's pretty chill these days. It, It used to not be chill. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like browsers used to like really kind of forcefully snap to it. And then a lot of times people would put a polyfill on the polyfill was really janky. Like if, you know, like if you're 51% of the way through the next element, it'll just grab your scroll and just go and grab it to the top, you know, like that's bad. But I find, and this is, you know, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, that it's chill, you know, like if you're Mm -hmm. close, it'll, it'll grab it and kind of pull it up. You know, it's like they kind of got the UX of it right finally. And okay. so I think kind of liberally sprinkling it out to stuff might have starting, some cool effects. Start to feel start to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I like I actually tried to use it multiple times and I like did not have success, you know? Mm-hmm. But on the latest project I finally like was like, okay, I'm using it here because I have like a little horizontal slider that was asked for and I want it to make sure it snaps, you know? And the trick was you put scroll snap on the parent and then on the child, you put scroll snap, uh, start or something. position mandatory X or whatever, you know, it's yeah. changed a bunch too yeah. for, for it. I think in the end it's easier, but it, that definitely went through some very major syntax changes. So yeah. if you're doing it now, make sure you, you know, somehow seek out scroll the best. snap align start. So that's what I mm-hmm. put. So like, you used to have to the... tell it how wide the thing is. You used to have to be like, oh, these cards are 300 pixels wide. So you have to give it that information and that's dead. Right. I don't think you have to do that. Thank God. Cause that was a pain. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, scroll snap type on the parent and I did X mandatory or what inline mandatory, I guess. Uh, and then scroll behavior smooth, you know, you want it to be smooth. Right. But um, I don't even think you need that. Yeah, because I have WebKit overflowing scroll touch, and I don't think I need you that do. anymore. Oh, um, really? I thought you do need that one. Oh, no, you God, don't so... need that one. You that don't need that one deprecated in Safari oh, 10.3 yeah. or some crap. No one told me, but it is. Uh, but then on the children and child, you need that your snap, the snappable object. You need scroll, snap, align, start. So Yeah, align and start. See, like that's a logical word. So. It's uh, pretty cool. I think what's 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 moving the needle on these is that it works in the desktop browsers too, which you know, like it or not, we tend to develop websites in desktop browsers, and so when it just didn't work at all in desktop browsers, we're kind of like, eh, you know, like it was right, right, right. less fun to develop them, but now it's kind of easier. Yeah, I think uh, so. We have we have that you know that secret Paravel repo that has a bunch of components kind of pre-built in it, you know, that we just mm. kind of reference, you know, and copy paste from project to project to project. I think I may, and I may have an opportunity here, but just like go through and like update this and get it all modern up to snuff and, and put oh, yeah. it all logical s- properties, scroll snap, logical properties, flex padding. gaps, all scroll go. stuff. Like, wouldn't it be cool? I was even thinking like, wouldn't it be cool <laughs> What would be cool if you could get like, can I use linter in the browser, like in your CSS file? Like I, I use this like inline linter plugin that'll like 
put a little comment out to the side in VS code, like, Hey, you don't, or like, like this has an error on line three style lint hates this or whatever. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if can I use would like go like, Hey, you just typed WebKit overflowing overflow touch. Yeah. You don't need that anymore. Wouldn't that be cool <laughs> if like yeah. there was like a, can I use like linter or like, yeah, yeah, like you wrote this, you wrote gap on f- or flex gap and that mm. this would be hard to detect, but like you wrote gap in a flex box that's actually not supported in every browser or something like it just gave you like a, this doesn't work in IE, you know? And like, that would be kind of cool. Like, I don't know, just a little hints, like little hints in your, your browser as your, or your editor as you're writing. I think that'd be a cool, uh, cool idea, but yeah. Yeah. Just like dev tools has toyed with that a little bit, like giving you, stuff messages in dev tools that and maybe you set your threshold like i only care about 80 percent or last two browsers or whatever maybe your browser.json mm-hmm. like controls this but you could just be like i don't care about ie 11 so just like tell me every property i don't need for ie 11 or what you know or i don't know just i don't know that's yeah yeah i know you're thinking mostly of safari <laughs> Safari, but, but Safari is one, but, but even if you type, yeah, I I guess it's back to Safari, but it's like, if I use some property, like what's the new one, uh, accent color, right. Mm. Which is super cool. If I use accent color, could it tell me this is only supported in Chrome or like only 20% of browsers support this or something like that. So, yeah, maybe, you know, then it's, it's interesting to think, where's the tool though? Like you at first you're like, oh, it'd be, you know, like a website. And then and then we're like, well, what if it's in DevTools? And then it's like, well, what if it's in VS code or whatever, you know? Yeah, like, well, that's where I'd like it, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting and, to think where the training could, goes. I don't know. I don't know. It wouldn't have to like hit the can I use API every single minute, but maybe it could uh maybe it could I don't know. Uh like download a list a support list every once in a while periodically or something and keep a cache or something. But, Oh, I just use break word, right? Uh, word, break, break word. Oh my God. That's <laughs> dumbest name property. Break your brain. Cause there's yeah, like word, 15 of them that are similar. Break all. Yeah. There's, there's, I, it's word, break, break word is what you want. <laughs> but, um, but I was like, Oh no, can I even use this? You know, I was just like pouring sweat. Like, this I need it to like fix the client was typing in like the number Google, you know, like where it's like a hundred zeros on a, on a one, you know? And like, it, of course it's breaking the content layout. It's breaking the whole grid. And I was like, I need that word not to do that, you know, or else the whole layout's trashed. Right. And so I just was like, I will set it to, uh, I'll put it on a uh, break word in that work. So, and it's generally good support, but I would have liked to know that as I was authoring without having to like go Google this one property, you know, like, could I just do break word? So Mm. like accent user, accent color, 0% break word. Yeah. It's in this different category though, because it's like, it's (laughs) new and the trajectory is that it's going to become more supported. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's just something that we're used to as web developers. That's normal and and okay and correct and the correct trajectory of things. It's reminding me of this. There's, you know, Jeremy Keith chimed in on 
the alert confirm deprecation stuff, which is a little kind of ongoing hot drama that is not over. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I don't, you know, it's just kind yeah. of wait and see at this point, but we'll see. And then there's, you know, but in, you know, he writes here, uh, the onus is not on web developers to keep track of older features in danger of being deprecated. That's on browser makers. I sincerely hope we're not expected to consult a site called can I still use dot com, mm-hmm. which is great. And then Jim Nielsen, I think, actually made that site. <laughs> So you can you can go check is out. It can just I a still graveyard? Use? It's a graveyard of uh, alert. There's one. <laughs> oh, Jim. There's one. There's good. one thing on it. It's just, just the alert API. RIP and but it's it's a good point. You know, it's like that would suck if all of a sudden we're we're constantly on our toes because features that we use on production websites can get ripped out from under our feet. And that, you know, that would suck in our day-to-day work, but it's even worse for like historical web. There's lots of sites, definitely most sites on the internet that are not worked on anymore. They're just there. Yeah. There there was a smidge of hubris in the like, well, people have to go update. You know, it's like, buddy, I haven't, I, I don't even have the FTP credentials for that thing. Like <laughs> it's gone, you know, like right. no one knows them. You have, we're in. They're like, it's better for the internet for every tutorial to be updated, to use async await instead of alert or something. You're like async await and what? Like, I don't know, just, Dialogue? Uh, yeah. Nope. Psych. Anyway, they reached out to talk to me about it. And I'm just remembering just now that I have to do that. But it's like, it's kind of like, do I want to? Because I feel like to take that meeting means I got to prepare. I got to have my arguments together. I want to tell them what I really think. And it's like that type of work for me, like it is for you, Dave, I charge bucks for that. Well, I do it all for free. (laughs) Yeah, they should pay. Like, I don't know. I do it for free in OpenUI and Web Component Group. But, you know, it's just... Yeah, if it helps the web, that's cool, but I don't know. Yeah, I've decided that's my, like, open source contribution. But, yeah, it's like, like, CodePen, you're going to have to, you have to do an investigation, right? Like, you have to see how many pens would be affected by this to come up with some data point that's, like, why this is kind of a bad news for you. Or, like, cruise your email. Look, we got 800 reports, like, that alert didn't work or something. You know, like, this caught everyone by surprise. So, you know, it's just kind of a bummer, like. Like and it's already costed you money in support tickets and yeah digging that up and stuff like that. So. There's one you know like t- to me this comes down like the, I I hate to be too reductive. I don't want to be reductive. This is complicated, but there is a sh- beacon of this alert drama that annoys me and has just not been answered at all in my opinion. Which is if the biggest problem here is abuse because a child iframe can pop up an alert and it looks like the parent did it it looks like any other page did it the 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 iframe could be kicked off the page or one pixel by one pixel and it will can still do that it'll make an alert and it looks like the parent page did it then don't do that make the alert ui have to be confined within the rect of the iframe yeah. a that makes more sense anyway because when you're working on a code pen or whatever, don't you want to see the alert like in the th- in the preview? Like, doesn't that make sense? Mm-hmm. And if that solves the whole thing, then what are we doing here? 
Right. Well, and you know, like, I guess it, cause it stops the main thread of the whole app. So an invisible iframe could still stop the main thread, but like, Does maybe it? it doesn't stop the main thread. You but know, aren't like, browser tabs, not, they are different threads. Web workers different are different threads. threads. So why is an iframe the same thread as the main thread? Is I it? I think it I, is, but. Oh, you think it is. I always yeah. thought it wasn't. Okay. So, well then that. It that does gum up the works there, doesn't it? But I I agree. I mean, it's just like I don't know. It's kind of it just seems like it should. Yeah, it should. I don't know. They they've messed it up, or maybe they need to delete it. But maybe there's a way that you could do it, like third party iframe, and it would show up in the third party, you know, inside the iframe or whatever iframeable alert or something like that. I don't know, but. Yeah, I mean that it is that's it's almost worse to not, you know, like it changes the whole thing. Like it, if it stops the main thread and so there's a 1 pixel by 1 pixel iframe that has an alert in it that you cannot close cuz you can't see the alert and it has paused the main thread, that's worse. Yeah. There's so many situations where you'd want to do that or where like a an embeddable thing you want that to take care care of it like Ticketmaster or Eventbrite or something inside my frame, you know? Like if they, whatever, tried to DDoS the system, I want to throw an alert that's like, hey, you can't do that or something. You know, like there's situations where I want it to work, you know? Yeah. So like it's not just code pen that's affected. There's probably no, a dozen. And that's why when I take the meeting, I can't, I don't even, I'm not even interested in talking about it from that perspective. Not really. I want, I'm going to, you know, of course, secretly make sure that, that those interests are, <laughs> are there somewhere, but I don't want to be like the web is code pen. Cause that's the, what got us into this mess. You know, it was one actor pretending like they're the only needs that matter, you know, or maybe if a, a deprecation is going to happen, maybe they need to reach out to popular CSS blogs and popular uh, code blogs, JavaScript podcasts and say, Hey, this is yeah. getting deprecated. Could you, we could pay sure. you to, talk about that or whatever, like, or maybe paying this or too much, but just like, ask, you know? just write the, write the dang article right. and just say, Hey, heads up everybody. This is important. <laughs> At least um, just run it by Rich Harris. I feel like that's, if, if you're I trying to if avoid. If we could all funnel all decisions through Rich Harris, I think the web would be <laughs> all fixed up. So yeah. no pressure, no pressure. So, all right. Well, Hey, we should probably wrap this one up, huh? Unless you got sure, anything else. Fine, uh, yeah. All right. Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this and your podcatcher choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. Uh, that's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And um, join us over on the Discord, patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show. We'd love to have you in there. It's a romping, good, fun time. And Chris, do you have anything else you'd like to say? Shop Talk Show.com. <laughs>